shopping today and I'll go to school tomorrow. First impressions are incredibly important. Honey, you can make a wonderful first impression. Brenda, how could you? He was a jerk, okay? I've made my choice and I choose me. Beverly Hills Now to 210 fans, welcome into 90210 So, a Beverly Hills Now to 210 podcast retrospective series. I am JT. Joining me as always on this journey is my good buddy Tim. Tim, how are you? I'm pretty darn good. Looking forward to finishing up the Emily saga here. This is this is a nice little serialized pattern that the show has settled into in our last couple of episodes. And I've been digging it. I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. And we've, we've got been, a returning guest with us, do we not? We do, and uh, we've been talking about the saga quite a bit, especially the yes. stretch where she wasn't on, and we were kind of like, why the gap after all the build, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, we're about to see how it all wraps here tonight, at least uh, this installment of Emily Valentine. And it's a pretty memorable episode, and a lot goes on in it, so we're going to dive deep into it. We do have a returning guest. He's been with us a few times now in the past, and that's Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Evening, guys. Always a pleasure to join you on this journey because uh, there is no better journey than the journey of the the boys and girls of West Bev. And as uh, I know you guys both know, there is no bigger uh, Emily Valentine fan than myself. So this is one of my favorite uh, storylines to pen one of our favorite terms um, in the history of the show. And this one is brings the heat. No pun intended. but I, I, uh, I've gotten to appreciate season two as I've been listening to your guys' show, which is, of course, exceptional. And uh, I always thought season two was kind of like still feeling its way. But um, I definitely have appreciated it better watching it again because um, I always say the show kind of kicks in in season three. But I think season two has some is, is very has some hidden gems. I think it has some big episodes for sure. I mean, and we're only halfway through, but great enough. I mean, a little over halfway. There's 28 episodes, we're on 16. So it's like we got a lot left in season two, but I'm with you, Scott. I always thought season three is kind of where it started. I think it's that's where I kind of started watching it um, at the time live. So I think that's why, in my mind, like, oh, that's like the best stuff. But no, there's been a lot more in season two that um, I definitely didn't appreciate before this journey through. So. Uh, all right, you've been yeah. with us uh, twice before, so I don't think we need to get through your history at the show. So we can go ahead and dive right in here. Tonight, we are talking Season 2, Episode 16 of Beverly Hills 90210, Episode 38 overall. My Desperate Valentine aired November 21st, 1991. So right smack dab uh, toward the back end of November sweeps, right around Thanksgiving. Um, and it's like an interesting time because we've had a run of big time episodes uh you know you could kind of start it with maybe the andrea one which was kind of a big deal like we delved outside on you know the beverly hills proper and and checked out where andrea's you know got into her background a little bit more but even if you don't want to count that one you could say okay with starting with episode 13 we had halloween which is a pretty big episode uh then the next 50 years of course is where scott uh scott dies that's a big one and then euphoria which is our last episode where emily spikes brandon uh with the drugs and now this one so this is a pretty incredible run tim of episodes overall 
Yeah, no doubt. Uh, making use of that uh, sweep schedule, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, this, I guess, would be our last episode of sweeps. Would have been, I guess, either the week of or the week probably before Thanksgiving. Um, looking at the looking at the timeline, the schedule uh, of episodes when they aired of season two, we get a little bit of a break before our next episode. So you can tell they kind of ramped up knowing that they're going to wind down a little bit um, before coming back in, in kind of mid December here. So uh, we're going to be going out um, on a, uh, on a high note here, hopefully. Yeah. And Thanksgiving that year was the 28th. So it looks like they take Thanksgiving off okay. because this is the last episode till December 12th. Um, so we had a couple weeks. Yeah, it makes sense. They wouldn't air it Thanksgiving night. I, I always forget they're on Thursday still at this point. Well, yeah. plus you figure the season started in July, so <laughs> right. They had a head. They had a head start. You know, they had a head start on all the other regular shows anyway, so they could afford to take the holidays off, and they were still you know doing pretty good. So that was a. Exactly. I still think that's a genius move. By. And they really don't take too much time, honestly. Like you would think they would take a, a longer break given yeah. July, but they have two weeks off here. Then they have back-to-back episodes in December. Then they have another two weeks off. They're back on January 9th. Then they take one more week off, um, which I don't know if that would have been like NFL. Did Fox, well, Fox didn't have the NFL yet, right? So No. Um, so anyway, no. for some reason, there's another week off in January. Yeah, in And January. then from January 23rd, it looks like they're almost pretty much steady. Uh, actually, March, they have a couple weeks off too. So. Tournament? Possible. Maybe they took the tournament off? Yeah, but Fox won their games, though. No, but I mean for the fact that no one would be watching. Uh, maybe up against it, yeah. Possible. Yeah. Primetime games. Fox could have been test running some shows too, maybe, you know. Yeah. Ashes Boy, to ashes, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, you gotta get those mid-season reports. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we've been teasing the ratings too. Like, right? We've had this little climb. Halloween uh, was a 16-6. The next 50 years was a 22-3. We dipped a little bit with Euphoria to 20.8. And this is our highest uh, of the season by far. Probably it might be the highest of the run. I'd have to let me look at season one really quick. Yeah, it's not even close. So this is our highest episode uh, rated episode mm. until shit. Even maybe the finale, season three, four. Ever. Now I'm invested. Now I'm invested. Hang on. I know, right? <laughs> Five. Donna, Donna Martin graduates. Uh, no, Ooh, I'm into season that... six. They stopped putting the ratings in uh, Wikipedia. Well, by season they don't have any ratings. Yeah. Well, they don't have any for six. They're back at it at seven with the ratings, but we're not even close. But I don't think I don't think anything after season six will come close to this. So yeah, I want to see season so. ten. The finale was half of this. All right, so this is the highest rated episode of all time for Nato Two and O. Holy shit! It is uh, 28.7 million viewers. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. That's it's my girl Emily. And we have a pretty big drop. Huge. So I'm guessing just the buzz off of the drug episode, probably. I mean, yeah. Granted, we're on Wikipedia, it's that citation needed. But if the trend at least is consistent, even if the number isn't exactly right, right. right then still this is the highest. I mean, their highest number by far. Um, even if these aren't you know, ex- the exact numbers, like I said. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's way outpacing everything around it. That's wild. 
It's crazy. It's the highest ever. I mean, I would have thought we'd peak maybe in season three or four or something, but you know, and I wonder if that's just, um, the show having a really clear runway, like a lot of its competition mm-hmm. may be laid out this week because yep. holidays yep. are coming up. But again, you figure they're wanting to get all the networks are wanting to get their sweeps programming in, and this would have been your last week to really realistically do it. So a lot do take know. time off though in November into December too. So I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe the standard yeah. still was like, I'd have to look and see like, you know, the cheers have a new episode this week or whatever. But... We got to get out those TV guides, right? got to <laughs> pull out Rocco's TV guys. I was like, we need Rocco or uh, John Casalico. <laughs> Wasn't Seinfeld on Thursdays? Uh, I might've still been Wednesday at this point, I think. Okay. I'm looking at Cheers. It's still 91. So Cheers was definitely. Well, Cheers in 91 was not doing the ratings that. No, I wouldn't have come close. Not 91. Uh, well, let me see. So this would have been. I just want to see if they had an episode this night. They did. Mm-hmm. They got a 29.2. So I mean, barely beating it. So yeah, and Cheers. And that's still a legacy. Pretty, yeah, yeah, well, Cheers is still a juggernaut. I mean, their their finale this season got a 32.9. So they were still getting pretty big numbers. Yeah, yeah. Do <laughs> you, you want to guess what the rating for the? Well, I don't know if they're combining the. Ra- oh, they must be combining it. Did you know did the finale air in one? I know it's like three numbered episodes, but it was in one night, right? The Cheers yeah. finale. Yeah. Yeah, and then they did um, the thing with Leno when they were all shit faced. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so then if this is accurate, I don't know if they're just adding the three half hours together, but this is 80 million viewers watch that finale. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, I think that's got to be a combo with the Leno thing because that was right after it. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. but um, So anyway, so there was a cheers. To say. So look, my whole point is they did it against some competition. They weren't on air. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so um, definitely in competition. Oh, yeah, and, no and they delivered their biggest rating ever. Like, yeah. you know, they're still up in the 20s for some of the episodes of the season, but... Um, it's just a monster, monster rating. So, all right, let's dive in. Uh, season two, episode 16, My Desperate Valentine. At West Beverly, Emily Valentine stalks up to a random guy. She kind of thinks maybe it's Brandon for a second, but realizes it's not. It's a new guy at Brandon's locker. She kind of goes up to him, rubs his shoulders, and then realizes it's someone else. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can, I can be Brandon. Uh, Brandon's <laughs> at his new locker. Uh, we found out that he's out near Andrea now. Andrea says, you're just ducking Emily. He wants to, and he admits it. He's like, I am. I just don't want to deal with it right now. Steve comes over and Brandon asked, it, says, did you have a skunk McMuffin for breakfast? Because that's what <laughs> like us. Uh, David's on air. He's hyping up the big homecoming parade and homecoming game. Kelly and Donna come over. Kelly's, you know, kind of boo-booing the festivities. Doesn't want to take part. Uh, Steve says that Brandon's family's the only one in West Beverly with tools. So they're going to build the float at his house. Uh, Brandon sees Emily and kind of zones out and asks Andrea to edit sports for her. And Andrea says, look, just go tell the truth and get this over with so we can move along. We go to the Blaze office, and uh, there's a guy. I don't think we ever catch his name. I don't know if he's an editor or just a writer. Uh, and he's reading a letter from a phantom pen pal that they've received, been receiving notes from. And he says we should give this guy his own column because he's ripping on the social types of the school. And that's uh, a little bit nasty and negative, talking about the princesses and all this stuff. Uh, but Andrea shoots it down, doesn't want to get involved. Emily asks Brandon why he moved his locker. He said it was more convenient because he could be next to the Blaze office, and he walks away. Emily follows. She says, do you want to go out tonight? And Brandon says he's going to study. She says they haven't been together in two weeks and says, why don't we study together? Brandon says, that's not going to work. Uh, So Emily says, all right, fine. I'll give you some space and walks away. We go to the Walsh house. Dylan and Brenda are making out on a patio chair. 
Brendan wants to stop to study history, but Dylan says the Louisiana Purchase drives them wild. Brenda <laughs> says all they ever do is make out. She wants to do something culturally interesting. Uh, we see Brandon. He's burning the midnight oil at home on his computer. He's getting multiple calls, but they're all hang-ups. And it rings a third time. Brandon finally snaps and tells him to stop calling, and it's Steve. And basically says, dude, chill the fuck out. Come to the peach pit. You shouldn't be studying on a Friday. So Brandon caves, and we get Nat. Uh, tells him to go get his own hot sauce, uh, but that their chili's in the house. That's kind of Nat, just busting balls. Uh, so just two boys eating chili at the peach pit on a Friday night. Steve tells Brandon just to end it with Emily and make it clear and direct. And, of course, in comes Emily and joins them. Brandon panics because he told Steve, look, I told her we were studying. Or I was studying, and now I'm out. Emily says her parents are out of town. She offers to join. Steve says he's going to go make some phone calls. So he gets up to leave and give Emily and Brandon some time. Emily says she was just thinking of Brandon, and that means it's kismet that lovers are, are meant to meet up or whatever, however she phrases it. And Brandon's like, nah, it's not, and we're done officially. It's over. Emily tries to apologize for the drugs, but Brandon says he's not mad. Emily says it's the stupidest thing she's ever done. She loves Brandon, and she had never meant to hurt him. Brandon says he has to go with his feelings. She keeps pushing for a second chance that she'll do anything. Brandon says it's not simple. We could just be friends. Emily starts to cry and says they should cool off for a couple weeks. And Brandon says, no, I've all this is all I've been thinking about. And uh, it's all uh, basically this is it. I'm, I'm good. So uh, before we get to the next part where Emily continues to press Tim, what did you think for these first few scenes? Kind of setting the stage that Emily's still in this to win it and Brandon is checked out. Well, our opening scene is drawing quite the contrast between what we saw in our last episode where Brandon is practically moving into Emily's locker, right? Mm -hmm. Where she set aside a, a whole shelf for him, right? In her locker. And here he is uh, distancing himself as much as possible physically from her and getting a little close to Andrea in the process. So that's maybe not for nothing. Um, and I'm sure Emily did not take too kindly to that. But uh, I'm glad we're following up on just the momentum that we uh, are coming off of that last episode uh, euphoria with. You know, I think there is a possibility that, you know, the way that they left things at the end of that one where Brandon and Emily are more or less broken up, like, like you could maybe do an episode without her and then, you know, tie kind of put a pin in it and write her off for good later on down the line. But nope, this is pretty much a direct continuation, and I think the uh, story is all the better for it. So we're seeing that, um, you know, there's a little bit more to Emily than meets the eye here. Like, she she uh, stepped out of turn in our last episode. She violated Brandon's trust. But um, you didn't get the sense that um, she was necessarily, that that, that that was motivated by her being, maybe a little bit mentally unbalanced and immediately mm -hmm. from this episode, we are establishing um, she is taking this breakup uh, or this, you know, cooling off period as, as, as she feels it is right now uh, a lot harder than perhaps uh, most high school students would. So we're, um, we're not wasting any time here with the build up to what's to come. You know, I think that, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface, I'm gonna, the the theme of my thinking throughout this whole episode and through this storyline is about Brandon and him being flawed, because 
pretty much for the first season and a half, at least in the storylines, everybody else in the show is flawed except him. Early on, Brandon was was put out as the moral compass, and he's the one everybody goes to. Mm-hmm. The rest are all screwed up in their own way, whether it's Andrea, Dylan, his sister, Don, Donna, you know, a little more innocent flawed, but flawed nonetheless. But Brandon was always the moral compass. And Emily Valentine was his was his weak point. Like she she went through the Brandon Walsh visage and got him in his sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And now he's a little messed up. So now I think before the audience starts to get too comfortable that Brandon's like the linchpin of the show. Now you see that he's flawed too, because, you know, for somebody who wants to give everybody else the advice and give everybody else in the straight and narrow and get their head screwed on straight, somebody comes in that actually messes with Brandon's head. And that's what makes that episode, the last episode with the drugs and the car and everything so awesome, because you see Brandon off the rails that you have not seen much this first season and a half. So I think that's one reason why she's like one of my favorite characters ever is because she kind of normalized Brandon like the rest of them. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't, he's not on that pedestal. Like the rest of them are all screwed up in their own way, Kelly and whatever. And let's look up to Brandon because Brandon has no problems in his life. No. Well, yeah, he does. Her name's Emily Valentine. And my favorite line in this beginning has, is this the B storyline when uh, Dylan and Brenda are making out and Brenda and Brenda's talking about studies and she goes, we really need to take this seriously. And Dylan goes, all right, let's go upstairs. Just <laughs> go a great line. Just like so awesome. So Dylan, it was great. It's like my favorite line. It might be one of my like favorite lines of the episode. It's so great. All right, well, let's, let's not do this on the porch then. It's like, it's well, really good. And they're doing a great job. Tim, we talked about this a little bit, but a great job of slow burning these people into reality. Like Brendan and Dylan are just living lives as a happy little high school couple, very into each other. Um, you know, going out to concerts, like, like just whatever, just, they're just a couple with no drama. And yeah, it feels like they're drama. just setting up yeah. for like a shit storm. <laughs> like, like, it's, yeah. like they've been so chill for so long now that it's, it's crazy. Just how little focus really there's been on them um, as a tandem. So they're almost yeah, acting like a little married. too comfortable. Right? They're yeah, like the like married couple of the show. Uh, yeah. Yep. You almost know? a little too comfortable at this point. And yep. to your point, Scott, yes, we've we've also tracked like this very subtle, I don't know that corruption is even the right term, uh, but the effect that Emily has had on Brandon, where he has been loosening up and in the process, um, his his character and his characterization um, has drifted quite a bit from the Boy Scout, the moral compass we've come to know him as. Uh, so, yeah, that's. You know, this is where he's he's maybe getting his bearings. They're they're pressing the reset button. He's remembering what he's about, and the question is: Is that compatible at all with Emily? All right. Well, Emily and Brandon leave the peach pit. She says she's wished uh, wishes she could turn back the clock and start over, but Brandon just keeps walking. Emily notices that she has a slash in her motorcycle tire. And wonders who did it. It says she wishes she could hear her throat got slashed too. Just intense. <laughs> um, but there you go. We awesome. cut to the Walsh house. Cindy's setting up a bed for Emily in Brenda's room. So we find out that Brandon drove her home to stay at the house. Brandon uh, ducks out and tells her to call the concierge if she needs anything. Because uh, Emily basically says, you know, can we talk? 
Brenda's salty about the late check-in here to the hotel. Says he could have taken her home, but Brandon says Emily's creeped out. She's a tire slash. She didn't want to stay home alone. Brenda says she doesn't trust Emily. She thinks she's taking advantage of Brandon. Brandon says Brenda and Dylan are the only people that know about the drug spiking and doesn't want her to become an outcast because she's not a bad person. So Brandon's still, you know, defending her and sticking up for her. He's just been turned off completely by the spiking and the breaking of trust. But overall, he's like, doesn't want to destroy her. And he knows if everyone finds out about this, it could be the end. Emily waits for Brenda to pass out. She tiptoes over to Brandon's room, kisses him, and says, is the concierge open? They start to make out. Brandon stops it, though, and tells her to leave. Brandon asks if she hopes they would sleep together and be together again. Emily says, if we make love, you won't want to break up with me. Uh, Brandon says, to make love, he has to be in love. And Emily leaves and tells Brandon yet again that she loves him. Uh, balls of steel by Brando here to, to turn this one down. But he's really out. The next morning, Cindy is talking to Emily's mom. Emily takes pulls the phone away and kind of says, oh, yeah, you know, here's what happened. And here, I slept in Brenda's room. And Emily just kind of says her parents got home early. But Brenda kind of gives a little bit of a look like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, so David, uh, we cut outside to, outside the Walsh house. David has the video camera. He's videoing the float, the float being built. And then basically Dylan's like, or Steve, one of them says, you have to videotape everything. And he says uh, he's doing it because many in the past have been accused of having professionals design the float. So he wants proof that they're the ones making it. Donna shows up. She's all dialed up and basically says, I'm not going to do anything that could risk ruining this outfit, which I didn't like. Like, we didn't really get much Donna this this episode. But, Tim, we've been, like, pretty high on her lately. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought this, like, reverted her back to just, like, what she was in season one. Just like, oh, she's just kind of prim and only not yeah. prim, but, like, vain and only cares about her outfit. Like this didn't feel like the Donna that's been like super involved and sweet with David. Like, you know, like she doesn't right. even talk to Mixing him here. It up more. Yeah. Yeah. It felt weird. Like it felt, I don't know. Like it just felt weird. Um, Emily comes out of the house. She's wearing Brandon's prize, 1987 Minnesota twins Jersey. It's white. Uh, Brandon kind of glares at her. She walked and then he leaves and walks over to help Dylan. Emily tells Andrea, she spent the night with Brandon and she plays it up. So Andrea gets pissed and walks away. Uh, she says, like, Brandon asked me to spend the night with him or whatever. Brandon tells Dylan that Emily won't take the hint. Dylan says, stop being the nice guy. Stop worrying about it will happen, Emily. And I'm just worried about what's going to happen to you, Brandon, if you don't do this. Brandon wants uh, Jim and Cindy to pitch in, but they kind of laugh it off. And they're like, "Now nah, you guys can do it. Dylan then tries to get his hands on Brenda, but she runs him off. Emily confronts Brandon, says he isn't happy that she chose his favorite shirt. Uh, she says, don't worry about it. I can use club soda to get the paint out. Emily then threatens to take the shirt off right there. And Brandon says, are you trying to be funny or just drive me crazy, Scott? So uh, Emily continuing to press here with the sleepover, with the float painting. Uh, clearly, maybe a little bit of a lie to the parents. So something's going on here. Uh, what do you think up to this point? Well, it's obvious that I think the one thing that we never really think about during this saga, and I think... Uh, I think um, uh, Brenda alludes to it is, um, you know, we've never seen where she lives. We've never seen her parents. She seems to always be on the phone. Um, who's she talking to kind of thing. And uh, um, it's right now it just, it still feels like, you know, all right, she's, she's bummed out and, uh, you know, Brandon's trying to do the best he can, but he's 
you know, in the beginning you thought he was kind of a coward, but now, you know, the Brandon we know comes out and it's like, listen, Emily, get, get the hint. We're done. Mm -hmm. Like he's now it's starting to like sink in. He's trying to give her the benefit of the doubt in that aspect. But at the same time, he's realizing, look, she's a nice person. I just don't want to be with her. Like he's trying to get that, that message across and, and, uh, uh, it's obviously not working. Uh, Brenda, her usual cynical self, um, is she, you know, but this time in this case, she's the voice of reason, but, mm-hmm. um, and she has been through the whole Emily saga. I mean, she's been, she's been pretty bang on with Emily from the start. Like she hasn't trusted her, hasn't felt the vibes and is just being protected of Brandon thinks that Emily is just, you know, kind of crazy and potentially just using Brandon at times. Yeah. Yeah, and this is where we see what starts out as kind of Emily trying to lay a little bit of a guilt trip on Brandon or or just kind mm-hmm. of playing up how sad she is over, you know, the, the fact that their relationship has crumbled to now she's being actively manipulative, right? Where at the peach pit, uh, they walk outside and her tires are slashed. That feels a little bit convenient, right? Oh yeah. And so she yep. she yep. winds up back at Casa Walsh and you know she's gonna have to sleep over for the night because oh my parents are out of town. Well, what another convenience. And uh then the the little stunt she pulls trying to get into bed with Brandon. Um but really it, it's the next day where this becomes I think quite blatant, where she is now insinuating herself into this this gathering of the gang as they work on the float and is right is like making it clear and and sort of rubbing it in everyone's faces hey we had a little sleepover last night i'm literally wearing his favorite shirt it's just it's like so obvious what what she's trying to put out there but she's also doing it in a way that it's it's sort of impossible to call her on it because they're you know they're in this social setting everybody's kind of you know, having a good time, um, wanting to make the most of this and, you know, the more the merrier. Okay. Here's Emily. And it's like, Hmm, how did, how do you handle this in a, in a situation like that? Um, she, she kind of makes sure she puts Brandon on the spot in that way. And, um, yeah, this is where you see Brenda and Dylan, um, Brenda again, being the one who's, who's seen through this, uh, kind of from day one or, or just, I wouldn't say necessarily seen through, but, but gotten that, uh, just gotten a bad impression, right. Listening to her gut, um, thinking something's off here, even if I can't put my finger on it, Dylan being the wise beyond his years, sage, of course, uh, you gotta, you just gotta cut this one loose. Right. <laughs> um, so which we're going to see how that turns out as well. Um, but this is, uh, I don't know at this point in the episode, I'm sort of questioning, um, is this all happening a little too fast? Does this feel like when our, an organic development for this character? And I'm mm-hmm. not sure that I have even an answer to that question myself yet. Right. All right. We head to a uh, formal looking concert, but I, I don't know where the, it's not like in a concert hall. It looks like it's you know, where the maestro plays in Seinfeld, like the Queens Convalescent Center or something. Like, I don't, I don't know where this is. It's <laughs> in a hall, a little tiny hall, I guess. Uh, Dylan and Brenda are watching. They're trying to become more cultured. Brenda's a little 
kind of turned on by it. And Dylan starts rubbing her hand and gives her the eyes. And they start making out as the concert ends. The next day, Brenda tells Kelly about the makeout session and says, I think we just like the music too much. Next, we're going to go again and try to last longer. Emily approaches Brenda and or Brandon and wants to talk, apologizes about everything during the sleepover, and she gets it if they never want to talk again. Brandon says, they'll speak again. And Emily says, okay, I'm ready to deal with it. I fell hard, and if it won't work out cool, we'll just be friends. The random Blaze editor guy comes over, says the pen pal's back at it. Brandon says, we don't do gossip. And he says, no, it's psycho time. They read the letter, and it talks about burning the school to the ground. Uh, he wants to run the letter, but Andre says, no way, because it says, if some bitches get caught in the flames, toss me a marshmallow. Um, pretty pretty edgy line for this uh, era of not a 2 and 0. Brandon yeah. says, maybe we should go to the police uh, now that we're getting arsony threats. Jim answers the phone at the Walsh house, and of course, it's a hang-up, and he looks down at the answer machine and notices 16 missed calls. Jim starts to play them, and one of them is Emily just gushing about Brandon. Sounds like a stalker. Talks about like kind of sexual stuff, really. Uh, that Jim, that Jim hears. Uh, Jim basically says to Brandon, like, "What the hell is going on?" As he's trying to figure it out, they get another hang-up call. Cindy says, "Maybe it's not Emily." Uh, Jim thinks Emily wanted them to hear the message, and she's an unbalanced person. Brandon says she acted fine this morning when they broke it off. And Cindy says, Brenda had a hard time, too, when her and Dylan broke up. And Brenda's like, whoa, like I did I did not go this far, Bob. And uh, Emily's basically going full fatal attraction. And Brandon says, well, how did Michael Douglas handle it? Uh, they get another hang-up call. Not well. No, not at well. the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought they did a good job to this point, too, like making it feel kind of scary. Like the pieces are all there. This is obviously Emily. But, like, it's also potentially, like, they do a swerve. You know, I mean, it's not. And, look, Emily just was fine. And mm-hmm. it was, like, some other stalker, right? Like, it's – I think they're they're towing the line okay. But it, it, it's got, like, an ominous vibe. It actually felt like a Halloween episode, the way they kept using the music and everything in the background. Right, the score, yeah. Had a very, like, ominous vibe the whole time. Um, the next morning, Brandon is well-rested. He reveals he left the phone off the hook all night. And Brenda basically is like, you can't do that every night. And if you want me to do it, I'll go talk to her. I'll end it for you. Brandon says the girl's messed up. Brenda says Brandon knows nothing about her. Has you ever been inside your house, her house? Have you ever met her parents? Do you know any of her old friends? Brenda says no one knows who this girl really is. We go outside. Brandon and Brenda find gifts on the front stairs. The twins' jersey's been completely cleaned and ironed. So that's all fixed up. And there's a cake that says, I'm sorry. Brandon starts to have a piece. Uh, but Brenda says, you know, listen. We're deep in this thing right now, and that cake could be laced. I wouldn't eat any of that. And, you know, I think it's a fair vibe you know, here, Scott. What do you think of this? these couple scenes as Emily continues to, to put the press? Um, Would you have eaten I mean, a cake? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I think it was meant for the whole family. I, think, I mean, the cake was fucking huge. So I don't think Brandon was supposed to dose the, the whole family. Don't kill Jim, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I would have eaten the cake. Um, that that j- twins jersey is like so. I don't know if that's your so nineties, but mm-hmm. that fucking twins jersey is great. I, I like that it's got Brandon's name on it and it's like phony. It should have been like you know Puckett or Herbeck or I, I don't know. It should have been a real twin. I don't know. Well, if you the, the custom jersey. Yeah, you know. But um, I like that. I, I do, and this is one thing I've always loved about Brenda is, and and I feel like later in the show. Uh, Claire kind of replaces her in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Valerie replaces her physically, but I think in terms of you know brunette or whatever. But I think Claire replaces her 
personality wise, like calling out the BS. Yeah. And it's like, listen, mm -hmm. she comes to our house. She eats with us. She's really nice. Do you ever eat at her house? You know, or, you know, does she ever want to hang out with her old friends? Like what's, what's the deal? And Brandon finally looks at her like, Oh shit, you're kind of right. You know, like for once the, 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 the script is flipped and it's Brenda. That's the moral compass or the voice of reason to her sibling instead of the other way around, which is what it's been for most of the first season and a half. So I just was fascinated by it. It was, it was awesome, you know? And um, I like the, and I think you mentioned this before, Tim, and I, the domestication of, of Dylan and Brenda. I know that's the B story, but, um, and it's a good B story actually, because this, this episode you had to have a, a a very delicate B story that was kind of mindless because the A story was so deep and so heavy that you had to make sure the B story wasn't too too much. And um, uh, their like domestication, like ah, oh, Brenda and Dylan, you know, like it's the end of season one with the prom and the almost pregnancy and all that stuff. Now they're like, ah, oh, it's Brenda and Dylan. Like this, like like you feel like this, like I think the fact that we're so comfortable with the show is because Brenda and Dylan have felt like they've been going out for like seven seasons, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's just so warm and, and comforting kind of thing. But Emily is just really scaring like the group. And you could argue that uh, even though she's, she's in that, at that phase right now, like you don't know who said the letters could be that guy with the freaking mullet and the and the and the skinny tie that we, yeah. that we can't remember his name. It could be that doofus, you know. Like you don't have no, we have no idea. You kind of think that it's that it's Emily, but you're not sure if it's Emily. Yeah, there's but, just enough to where it could be because we don't know for sure if they're running Emily off, right? Like, right. Maybe the end of this episode is going to be there's some other girl stalking Brandon and Emily uncovers it, right? Like who knows at this mm -hmm. point? It's, maybe it's Andrea. No, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Andrea's grandmother. <laughs> Mercedes rule, right? Wasn't she the grandmother? I don't remember. Uh, um, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, at first, I didn't really care for the Dylan and Brenda uh, B plot. I just I thought it was kind of silly. But the more I think about it, it it does serve as as sort of a counterpoint to what they're doing with Brandon and and Emily, where it's like these two like Brandon can't get far enough away from this girl. Whereas Brenda and Dylan can't keep their hands off each other. Right. That's basically the, the story of, of what uh, they're going through with this, you know, Hey, we, we have to really challenge ourselves with the, the, um, the PDAs are a little bit out of control. So uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going to do some, some cultural activities for a change instead. Right. And we see that that goes completely haywire and kind of a funny scene. But I, I agree with Scott that the levity is kind of necessary at this point, just to sort of lighten the tone just a bit. Um, but we're seeing the manipulations continue. Um, Emily sort of beats Brandon at his own game where he's about to, you know, drop the bomb on her that, look, this is really over you gotta, you gotta stay away from me. And she's like, I understand that, um, I went too far and you probably don't ever want to speak to me again. And I, I get it. So it kind of puts him on the defensive and you're like, man, she's, she's really good at playing this, like this cat and mouse game. Right. And it's, it's going from 
manipulations, which are one thing, to now getting a little bit threatening and scary to the point that I think in the minds of viewers, we're, you know, especially 1991 audience, 1991 audience is thinking, oh, this is like they're doing a total fatal attraction story, um, which is so blatant that Brenda has to call it out. Right. right? <laughs> um, I don't know that that movie means a lot to anyone, you know, who's um, maybe a bit younger than us. Um, I mean, we're talking a 1980s sort of tawdry erotic thriller um well, plus the other thing that too was a is, big movie at the time right and the other right? thing that too is huge huge thing and the other thing too is is i mean <clears throat> fatal attraction it was an affair like this is a straight up relationship yeah. she's right. just nuts yeah. it's not like brandon did anything wrong in that aspect but sure, yeah sure, sure. but yeah tim i want to ask you quick well, i mean we obviously we could talk more about it at the end but you said that that you thought this was going too fast do you think that maybe this could have gone to like another episode, like maybe um, the phone calls and we don't know who's, who messed up the float or we actually set the float on fire and then do it to be continued. Like, do you think this part of the thing could have gone another episode? Do you think? I think there's two ways you could have gone about it, which is either, like you said, have this play out as, as a two-parter, just as you described, or, give us maybe more foreshadowing that there's a little bit of an edgier side to Emily that can be perhaps dangerous because I don't know that I've, I'd gotten that. Yes. She's quite different from the rest of the crowd in Beverly Hills, but I never really got the sense that she was necessarily going to be dangerous or um, that her, that her mental health was ever really in question from previous appearances. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I do think the escalation is sort of, it's a Uh, little abrupt. I'm going to flip it. Like, I don't think we needed to go more episodes necessarily. We should have used the ones we had. Like, like she went like there was like five or six episodes without her when she was in, yeah. You know, in Canada. I think that like, would be my preference is yeah, if we had used the episodes used. we had a little a little better. Right, like she just went um, away and then all of a sudden they're hot and heavy. Like I think that could have because I get them wanting to blow this off. I think in the sweeps and then use the back half of the season on other stuff, right? Because I think they wanted this done and they didn't want to drag out. I think I think the main reason they did they didn't want Brandon to be dragged out as like a punk for too, for too long. Like, you know, Could head be, over heels yeah. kind of, they want like, him to be able to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Made out at Scott's birthday and you know, all that stuff. Like I didn't think, I don't think they wanted him to continue to be presented in that light, which is fine. So I just think they had some time to establish Emily a little bit more during that whole stretch uh, when she's basically vanished until Halloween. Yeah. I forgot about that. Did them um, now I, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy. Did the letters portion did that did that happen in previous ep- in the last few episodes? No, no, or that's another thing too. Here, right? All right. Yeah, they could have yeah, like that, maybe set that up weird. too, right? And said, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah. hey guys, we got this weird letter." But but Emily, I don't think she was off the the range yet. You know what I mean? So like, I don't. No. I mean, she doesn't really snap until Brandon basically breaks up with her after the drive. Right. Break. That's true. 
All right. Emily shows up at the blaze. She has this very old school typewriter. She said she got it from her dad. Of course, we know he was a journalist as well. Uh, she shows it to Andrea, talks about all the history behind it. And she says, I'm donating it to the blaze office. Andrea, you care about the work. And it's my parting gift because I'm quitting the paper. It's for the best. I blew it with Brandon. I'm not wanted here. Andrea caves a bit. She tells Emily her writing is getting good, and I'd be okay if you stayed. Andrea also says Emily helped build the float. She should be at the inauguration and tells her she belongs in that picture. So Andrea kind of getting a little soft here for Emily, who's going through a tough time. Brenda's telling Kelly and Donna that they're going on an evening with Pag- Paganini. Was that what they said? Paganini? Uh, Kelly says you just so, go to yeah. concerts to make out. Emily comes up to her locker. Brenda says she wanted to bust Emily's chops. And Kelly and Donna say uh, she's always nice to them. Kelly says uh, she used to do obsession jobs as well. She got grounded in eighth grade. She kept calling over and over after breaking up with Ron Firestone. So it, it's still, you know, to your point earlier, Scott, like it's still like Brenda is calling shit out. And not everyone's fully on board. Like Donna and Kelly are kind of like, you know, she's fine. Whatever. We all go crazy over boys. It is what it is. And like no one seems to be taking the wolf cries seriously. Right. Uh, the crew's finalizing the float. Emily shows up. She says the float looks great. Brandon asks Andrea why she brought Emily, and Andrea says she wasn't going to leave her out. David sets up a camera, and Emily sidles next to Brandon, and it may be her most egregious action of this, just starts kissing him on the neck. And mm-hmm. the picture snaps. Everyone's kind of staring in shock, and Brandon just finally loses it. He says he tried to be nice. She's not taking the hint. Emily says she loves Brandon. She had her pick of guys when she came to Los Angeles and she thought Brandon was different and special. Poor Dylan takes some shrapnel here when she says, I had my pick of guys. Brandon just like glares at him and he kind of looks away. Like, yes. Like, all right, they were broken up. You broke up with them. <laughs> Emily, Emily says she wanted her first time to be with Brandon so it would be more special. Everyone looked at her like she was a slut when she moved here and now he officially made her feel like one. And Steve tells Brandon, let her go as Emily storms off. So pretty intense scene on that one uh we're at dinner at the walsh house steve is telling the walshes he goes that brandon really knows how to dump a girl uh, brandon... <laughs> <laughs> brandon says uh emily wouldn't let it go steve is just like amping it up he's you know feeding into it brandon says he had to put his foot down cindy says she feels bad she says you don't act rationally when you're going through all these emotions she hopes brandon didn't say it in front of the other kids of course, Brandon kind of just smirks. Uh, Jim answers the phone. It's another hang-up. And it says, I guess her phone habit hasn't been cured. And then we cut, and we finally reveal it definitely is Emily. Uh, she uh, is at a phone booth. She calls again and hangs up. Jim this time says he's going to call the phone company. But Steve says, let me answer this time. So Steve answers the phone. He pretends to be from Sal's Pizza. Uh, does a bad Italian accent. So Emily hangs up again. Cindy says, making fun of Emily is not how you're going to deal with this. They need to talk to her parents. Uh, then the doorbell rings and Andrea is here and Steve says, shouldn't you be putting the paper to sleep? And I like, I think you mean in bed, but yeah. <laughs> Andrea says she got another letter worse than the last. She's no Columbo, but she realizes that the letters have been written on Emily's typewriter. And no, the new one talks about abusers of love deserving to die. Andrea says, Emily is given a cry for help and wanted her to crack the case. She, by giving her the typewriter, she knew she'd figure it out. Just like they wanted, she wanted the Walshes to hear the messages. The phone rings again. Jim just hangs up and leaves it off the hook. And we see Emily trying to call and gets the busy signal, Tim. So uh, things are starting to unravel now. It's it's pretty obvious it's Emily behind all this stuff. It's not going to be a swerve. And she's quickly spiraling. And everyone seems lost on how to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I do have to say I enjoyed this 
very early uh early 90s phone culture here with the uh, i mean <laughs> yes. started with the you know the all the missed calls and there's what 16 messages on the answering machine mm -hmm. the hang-ups the the calling from a pay phone all of it is just so this again it is one of those one of those stories you couldn't do today um but back then that was like that was the thing right getting hang-ups and harassing phone calls and, and you couldn't really especially like pre-caller pre-caller id i can remember when we got our first caller id and like I don't know, 1996 or seven. And like what a game changer that was mm -hmm. at the time. And, um, you know, that's, that's certainly not a thing yet here in 91. So fun trip down memory lane there. Um, but yeah, this is the big reveal and it's, it's comes as like kind of a shame because you can tell that there's now this almost budding friendship between Andrea and Emily, maybe the last two people on earth you would expect to connect, but I think Andrea Andrea's maybe sees a little of herself in this whole a thing. little bit of a, yeah. Kindred spirit thing here where, you know, she's made decisions that she maybe regretted due to, you know, falling and falling way too hard for a guy and having it not work out. Um, so it's like they, they can kind of connect on that level. And she's even telling Emily, you know, your writing's getting good. So she's kind of admiring her in, in that sense as well. And this is where it, it kind of, where it, it really started to sink in for me that Emily, while she has pursued these romantic relationships first with, well, Brandon and then Dylan back to Brandon, um, she hasn't really had any solid friendships, right? It's all been focused on like her love life and, and romance, but it's like, where is her, where are her solid social connections? She doesn't have like what mm -hmm. the gang has, the, like they all have each other. Right. And we've talked about how they sort of keep each other on the straight and narrow and bring out the best in one another when otherwise, you know, who knows what Dylan might be doing, for example, right? Right. And uh, Emily just doesn't have that. And it feels like it's just coming too little too late here with Andrea, and it's it's too bad. And um, I kind of appreciated that they at least started to, you know, emphasize that before kind of tearing it all away. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, like they even explore that. Remember the um, where they do the I don't know even what you call it the reboot, which is the the very meta reboot where they're all themselves playing exaggerated versions of themselves yes. during yes. a revival. Yep. And Christina Elise is part of that, right? She's mm -hmm. like one of the network executives or something, and uh, she like has a full on friendship slash relationship with Andre yeah. Gabriel Carteris, which is weird. Cause I don't, I don't really, or at the time I didn't really associate them as having any kind of real right um, history, yeah, history at all from the show. And it's like, well, there is something there maybe um, not romantically. I don't, you know, the way they went with that was kind of neither here nor there, but the fact that they did pair those two up, um was not so without precedent so I, I kind of appreciated that um scott yeah i mean it it's it's definitely now 
Brandon finally kind of got his head screwed on straight. Cause like I said, I feel like, you know, this is the moment where, and I keep using this term where Brandon's moral compass finally straightens out and, and, uh, uh, he's got to He's got to fix this. I, I gotta say though, and and I don't, you know, I don't, a lot of the things in these first two seasons, I would, you know, I I would think are a little cheesy. I feel like they really, the writing really leveled out, and everything really leveled out by season three. But but like, why would you? I mean, I get the premise, but you're taking a picture of the float. Why would you randomly just start kissing Brandon's neck, like in the middle of the picture? That was like the, you know, I get everything else, but that was like a really agree. That was the one. dumbest thing I, I'd ever seen. Like. If you know what would have been better is if like she had put her arms around him, like wrapped her arms around like his waist or something, and made him look like, and she looked like a girlfriend kind of thing. I could have handled that, but just start making out with him in the middle of the fucking picture. Like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It just looked dumb. Like unless I, it was, yeah, I thought that too. Unless it was really by design in order to sort of engineer that blow up that he had. I think so. It felt like she was like looking for just any reaction out of him because he's been so passive. So it feels like maybe that was the case. Uh, I mean, yeah. I guess she could have like grabbed him, like behind, for, like grabbed his butt she, or something. You know what I mean? Or like just kind of put her, her kinda, arm around him. I because I thought the same thing, and then I'm like, well, she does kind of seem like she has that speech ready, right? Where she sort of talks about how she had her pick of whatever guy, but she chose Brandon and mm-hmm. thought they really had something. He made her feel like a whore. This that like. That feels a little rehearsed, you know. But again, this is a TV show, so everything's going to be <laughs> right. Rehearsed but the other thing, but, but the other thing is, did she? Do you think she planned it to want to do it in front of all of them? I I do. I, I think that would be my read on that. Hmm. Um, Interesting. But I could see, I could see it just being her um, being so oblivious to kind of her own actions and and the effect that she's having. That she does this, not expecting the the very um, negative fallout that that follows. Like I, I could see her being at this point that unhinged that that's really where her mind is at. But mm-hmm. my my read on it is she she actually did engineer it, pretty much expecting to get this reaction so that she could say her piece and kind of make everybody feel like shit, right? And then storm off, you know. All right, Dylan and Brenda show back up at the concert hall. Uh, Dylan starts to kiss, but uh, Brenda shuts it down. She says the violinist is firing up. Brenda, Steve, and Andrea are then trying to figure out what's up. And Andrea says she thinks Emily is a borderline. Uh, I'm sorry, Brandon, Steve, and Andrea are trying to figure out what's going on. Em- Andrea says she thinks Emily's a borderline type personality, thinks she has some serious needs. She's looking for something stable and permanent, and that would be Brandon. Jim and Cindy say Emily's parents aren't listed in the phone book. Steve thinks the number Brandon has is probably her private line. Jim says we need to go talk to her parents. And Brandon finally gives up the address. Get to our crescendo here as Emily shows up at the float in the Walsh driveway. She's got a gas can. We go back to the concert. Dylan and Brenda are watching as the violin is cracking. Uh, and the music starts to play over Emily dousing the float in gas. She's dumping paint all over it, tearing it apart. Uh, this is really well done. Honestly, one of the better, like, 
the quality scene, like shot scenes we've mm-hmm. seen, the way the music is playing. Artistically, and, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, we were at the concert, but the music is playing over Emily. It's just like classical, intense music. The concert ends. We're back to Emily. She's just sitting covered in paint. She's pouring the glass. Uh, Dylan and Brenda show up at the Walsh house, and they see Emily. It just looked like the Joker. Like, she was, like, sitting there. The float's destroyed. She's got paint all over her, just, like, clearly, like, shattered. Dylan notices the gas and they see the lighter in Emily's hands. Emily says, Brenda has always hated her. And Brenda says, uh, she has to listen. Dylan's a little leery. She's like, listen, she's got a lighter. And Brenda says, no, I gotta, I gotta do this. She's, she's listening to me. I gotta talk to her. Emily says, Brenda never forgave her for dating Dylan and being with her brother. Emily says, Brenda turned everyone against her after she worked so hard and she's not going to be any part of anything anymore. Emily says, after Brandon humiliated her, she's part of no group. And says, what did I do to you? Brenda says, Brandon is a trusting person. Emily betrayed that trust and it takes time. But Emily's not, says, Brandon is not going to forgive her. Brenda swears Brandon will forgive her eventually. She just needs to give him a chance. He has faults, but one of the greatest things he does is forgiveness. And Emily needs to give him space so he can get there. Emily apologizes, hands over the lighter, and they head inside. Jim, Cindy, Steve, and Andrea join in. Emily apologizes for everything, including the hang-up calls, the fake tire slashing, the letters to the editor, and she admits spiking Brandon's drink, and everyone kind of gasps. She doesn't expect forgiveness. Emily says she thought she hated Brandon and everyone else, but she hates herself most of all. Brandon says you need to get help. Cindy asks her if this has ever happened before, and she said she locked herself in a room for three days last year after they moved. Moving to Beverly Hills was a new kind of pressure. It's a tough place, and they all made it easier for her, but she knows she needs the help. Later that night, Brandon and Brenda recap what happened. We realize, uh, or we find out that the Walshes and Brenda and Brandon, um, the three of them, dropped off Emily at home and talked to her parents a lot. They found out Emily's been seeing a therapist for years. Brandon says Emily's just very lonely, but at the same time can't deal with being close to anyone. And he thanks Brenda for the save. So that's the wrap up there, Scott. What are your thoughts on that? And also, uh, we're curious on a little Mandela effect for me and Tim. We talked about this before we went on air. In your mind, didn't Emily set this float on fire? Like, I always thought there was a fire in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was waiting for her. I thought she lit it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. When it didn't happen, I went, oh, it must be when they, when Brendan and uh, Brand, uh, Branda. I know, I do. Brenda and Brandon. <laughs> Brenda, yes. Brenda. <laughs> them uh were talking in the bedroom and i thought she likes it anyway after yeah the yeah and i'm like where the fuck where's the fire i'm like i know damn no i agree with you. it's funny i'm thank glad you said that and i'm not the only crazy one because everyone always says thing. emily in the fire emily in the fire like emily that. in the fire yeah um i i i, I feel like they soften the blow um because well let's put it this way as I've always said about this show this is the Dallas and Dynasty for our generation so being a teen slash young adult show, they kind of soften the blow. If this was Dallas or Dynasty, that that float was that float was toast. <laughs> There's and no doubt about it. Too. That yeah. float was toast. If this was like J.R. Ewing, she with that, it. that float was gone, and Brenda probably would have died or something, or she went up in a coma or something. But but they 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 young adulted it mm-hmm. for for the audience that okay, and I find it interesting. That Emily had had parents, why wouldn't she want Brandon to meet them? Like I thought that was odd. Like why why be separate from mm-hmm. them? That was that was a little weird. 
Because I would like to have, I feel like I would like to have, without dragging the story out, I would like to have seen Emily's parents and kind of, you know, instead of being a secondhand conversation, maybe that end part, instead of Emily doing that whole thing in the kitchen, maybe you kind of shorten that scene and then go to, and then find, you know, a couple of whoever actors to play Emily's parents and really hash it out for a good five or six minutes at the back end of that, that last second to last scene. Um, because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, are you really embarrassed at her parents? I mean, that's- I don't think she's embarrassed. I think she's, I think Brandon kind of summed it up at the end. Like, you know, she's afraid to be alone, but also afraid to get close to someone. So like bringing a boy home to her parents, like exposes maybe what her, you know, what she's really like, right. That maybe they'll bring up the therapist or that she's had a hard time or that that means things are getting even more serious. And, that may stress her out even more. Um, the only part that we did, we kind of hand waved here that did happen is like Brandon did meet her niece and nephew and like spent time with them. So yes. like, he was exposed to some mm, part yeah. of her family. When she was normal. <laughs> right. Before that. It, it did seem weird. I will say this th- thinking back guys, you're, I feel like this, this saga could have been, a little tighter. Like, you're right. Why did we, why did we not like they made Emily almost too normal for too long before going off the rails. Mm. Like you said, she hadn't been on an episode in what, like a month and a half almost. Um, I don't know if Christina Lee had a maximum number uh, in her contract for episodes and they had to kind of milk it or, but you'd have thought they'd have tightened that, that gap and, and threw her in more. And get into her backstory because it's, it, it did seem almost like, all right, we know Christine, we know that Emily Valentine came from the other side of the tracks and yabba, 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 but she seemed to have settled in in the group. And then all of a sudden, we get the episode where he's on drugs and driving around all crazy and going to that rave and everything. Like that came out of nowhere almost. I don't know. I think it actually did evolve. Okay. I just think it would have been nice to see more of her and Brandon together, but like her explanation for the drugs, like, made sense like i don't think she did it to be like conniving or right crazy i think she really thought like i love this guy like we're great together and doing this together is going to make us even closer and it just backfired completely like i think right i don't think she did it even to self-sabotage i think she really thought like brandon would enjoy doing it with her because he had been pushing it a little bit you know what i mean like he right they, they did bang in scott's childhood bedroom and you know whatever and, and at the party so like i think she knew brandon was kind of letting loose a little bit more in that you know in the end yeah he says no but it would be he'd like it so mm. i don't know i thought the evolution was fine because then like this is like she can't handle that she blew this with this guy that you know was her only chance in her mind maybe at stability right good point yeah yeah, maybe she thought, yeah, she, she, you know, Brandon might, maybe he'll find this interesting and, and, and she maybe went one, one step over, you know, for him. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about Brandon's moral compass, where um, we, we needed a moment where Brandon maybe pushed himself too far and like, all right, maybe, maybe I want to be a Dylan or I want to be a Steve. I want to kind of live a little, little loose, fast and free with the rules and look what happens. And then you go back to Brandon and then obviously things go on with him throughout the rest of the series, but you know, almost like he wanted to 
kind of walk on the wild side. And he's like, oh, maybe I'm not good at walking on the wild side. Maybe I should just stay the, the moral compass and let everybody mm-hmm. else act like idiots. And I'm good. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and to your point, it it does feel like, um, and, and this had been maybe um, a needle that had been thread throughout her earlier appearances. It, it does feel like that there's some kind of reveal forthcoming about her parents or her family because correct we had not seen a mom or a dad up to this point we'd only really heard about them um hadn't seen any you know other friends although she is a transfer student so that can kind of be uh forgiven but all throughout this episode it's like oh we should get in touch with with Emily's parents. Oh, we can't get in touch with the parents. It's probably a, you know, a direct, uh, direct number for her that, um, she gave Brandon, um, you got to give us her address. And and it's like, they're having such a hard time getting in Mm -hmm. touch with these people and the whole, Oh, they're out of town for the weekend or whatever. Maybe that was true. Maybe not. Um, it, you're kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop, right? Where she's presented, she's painted this picture of a happy, family you know home life but really like maybe she just lives with a mom who's checked out and is like a ragged out alcoholic or something and it's you know like not necessarily a physical abuse situation but a major neglect situation kind of deal and it's like no if anything the swerve is that yeah she does seem to have two loving parents who remain <laughs> unseen throughout all of this um and that's what kind of comes as the shock that uh, she was on the level about all right. that. So it's like, okay, the fact that we didn't meet them is really down to she does have so many issues and, and insecurities. And mm-hmm. I guess is maybe afraid of, like like you said, just of, of having her cover blown, perhaps. And um, yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that and, and think that, um, I don't know, I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a, mer- a more mature choice on the part of the writers than to turn it into, oh, she's from a broken home kind of thing, and that's right. why she's like this, right? Um, it's kind of making the point that this could really be anybody you know. But um, aside from all that, yeah, major Mandela effect here. I I would have sworn that they like replaced the ending of this episode with something else because I... Not only do I remember her torching the float, but I remember this happening like in the school gymnasium, not outside the Walsh house where they'd been working on the thing, right? Um, basically in their driveway. I remember it as like a big set piece where like after they get that that last letter that's that's really like off the deep end, like Andrea and, and Brandon rush off and then meanwhile dylan and and brenda are going to meet up and it's like a much bigger intervention right that's how i remembered this playing out in my head i would have bet you a million dollars that's what happened and yes they talk her down from the ledge but not before she does actually set a small fire at least right that's what i Um, thought yeah and like um because like when she does come back later Mm -hmm. on there's the whole oh she's this crazy pyromaniac and they're they're making jokes about you know uh, make sure it doesn't go up in flames this you know like um 
they sure act like she started this damn fire and, and she didn't. If anything, she was a terribly um, desperate, sick girl who was, this was a cry for help, you know, mm-hmm. very clearly. Um, and they really like sensationalize it so much later on that that is the memory that I hold of, of this resolution in my head, that it was a much more sensational climax. And uh, if anything, it's very understated. Brandon is not even part of it. It's just Brenda and Dylan, which again, I'm like, where's Brandon? Where's Andrea? <laughs> um, so yeah, this, this was a, did a total, total Mandela effect on me. Hmm. All right, so that's it for the episode. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get into our awards here? For best scene, I had that climax there with Emily destroying the float to the classical music. I thought that was that was great. It absolutely was. I agree. Yeah, I can't argue with that for sure. For the most important scene, I went with Brenda talking Emily down. I mean, obviously that could have went real badly, <laughs> like within the construct of this episode. But even long term, like it finally gets Emily into the help she needs and off of Brandon, so it ends up being pretty important to the the series. Uh, yes, what it lacks in sensationalism, it it makes it up for in um, being pretty pretty heavy, pretty important. And it also it also gives gives the audience that you know what when she's not too self-absorbed with herself that brenda can actually you know deliver her own level-headed mm-hmm. thinking rather than just being well girlfriend. And i think an interesting part of which we didn't really mention is like at the end of the day emily's whole meltdown was almost equally as much of brenda as it was brandon like i think she saw brenda as someone that sabotaged her throughout all this that you know, didn't like her from the jump, you know, screwed her up with Brandon, um, didn't like that she messed with Dylan and was always kind of against her. And that that harkened back to the episode with the singing and everything where they were clashed. So it's like, yeah, it almost her issues almost stemmed as much from not being fully in the group and her blaming Brenda because of it to as much as Brandon dumping her, you know, so it was, it was kind of both both of them really in the end. Mm. Uh, most nineties look, uh, Sky did indeed go with the uh, Brandon's Minnesota Twins jersey. <laughs> we had to, considering that they—I mean, it made sense since they just won the World Series. Like, two although they before. did say it was the eighty-seven uh, one, but I guess I, don't, I think they still have the same one. So, yeah, they did. No, they did. Eighty-seven was the first year they had those those jerseys. So, but but they, the fact that they had just won it again two months before actually was pretty funny. It, it was very fitting. <laughs> uh, I went with. Um... As, as not a sports fan, as you know, uh, I went with uh, Dylan's kind of turquoise colored blazer and tie mm. over like a black shirt in the, it's like formal, but, but still kind of fine. Right. At right. the, at the concert recital or whatever it is. Um, I kind of want to, I, I want that look to come back. I, I like that. <laughs> Uh, most nineties moment. I went with the pump and dump calls uh, that Ooh. Emily was doing and fatal attraction. Oh, for sure. Pump and dump. Pump, <laughs> I love that. Pump and dump. dump. <laughs> yep. I agree. All right. Best lessons learned. Uh, I guess just be careful who you date. Like I think Brenda really, that was kind of the lesson this when she said like, we, you never met her parents. You never met her friends. You never been into her house and look how serious you got and like, let this get this deep without really knowing her. So. Yeah, it it's maybe not even so much instructive as it is 
saying it's it's easy to think that to that you can get really close to someone and think that you know them without really knowing anything about them right, right? Mm. yeah and and again uh the lesson learned for me is exactly what what in my opinion the premise of the episode was is that Brandon has flaws too mm-hmm. we hadn't seen them at all during most of the first season and a half but finally like Brenda pretty much called him out, Brandon, you don't have to be the perfect one of our group. You right. you can make mistakes too, and you need to learn from them. So, All right, best hookup is really the only one, Dylan and Brenda. Yep. Uh, yeah. I had a couple quotes. Something about the Louisiana Purchase drives me wild. That was Dylan. And then uh, Emily saying she should have uh, slashed my throat while he was at it when uh, they find the slash tire, Brutal, which is about man. as emo as it gets. I still, love, um, I still love when when Brenda goes. We need to take we need to take this seriously. And he goes, "All right, let's go upstairs." I still think that's great. This is like writing a beat, one beat, and Dylan says it. That whole scene, yeah, in the porch was great. <laughs> Brenda was killing it this episode with great lines. I had, um, and, and we mentioned a few of them. She says, "This isn't about a broken heart. This is about a fatal attraction." And then Brandon, of course, with his reply, "How did Michael Douglas handle it? <laughs> Not well." <laughs> And then when, when Brenda's trying to be reasonable at the, in the driveway and Dylan goes, she is whacked. (laughs) Yes. I have that one too. Jesus, Dylan. Well, you're a big, you're a big help. (laughs) The whole exchange goes, she's bothered in the extreme. The way she sounded on the answering machine last night, I wouldn't be surprised if she was a hardcore stoner. (laughs) That's the problem here. Yes. Uh, To the extreme. To the extreme. Yes. And then finally, with the cake, as as Brandon starts to kind of fiddle at it, she goes, "This whole thing could be dosed with euphoria, or worse." <laughs> yeah, she what just went and spent probably thousands of dollars on euphoria to douse the cake. Yes, dosed with it. <laughs> what a what a concept! All right, uh, final grade. I you know this holds up well. It's a strong outing. Um, it's one of the most memorable episodes to the point where we even misremembered it. Uh, but it's everyone knows Emily snapping and it's the payoff to this whole angle. Uh, so I ended up going nine out of 10. Cause I don't think it's a perfect gonna... episode. I think there's no, it's a couple not. things off in it, but it's, it's still really good. It was still engrossing. And like I said, the ominous music was great. That, yeah. that final scene with the classical music superimposed was great. Um, so there was a lot in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I see why um, folks were like as frenzied to watch this as they were, because this is a very soapy, this is maybe the mm-hmm. soapiest episode they've done. I mean, Scott, comparing it to, to Dynasty in Dallas is, is pretty on point, mm-hmm. um, just short of, again, something or someone going up in flames. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like, I don't want to, I don't want to penalize it for for it not being what I remembered in my head, because I mean, that's my issue, not the fault of the show. Uh, I do kind of think though, like we were saying that they, if they had known if the writers knew that this was the end game from day one, from the jump, from Emily's first episode, which I kind of feel like they did, then why not use her time on the show a little bit better or just differently? just to kind of like, where are those breadcrumbs to set this up? Um, mm-hmm. It, it still works. Um, I don't think this is like, so completely just 
dropped on us out of nowhere. Like it, it does feel like um, a believable follow-up from where we last left the characters, but it is like kind of, Oh really? This is where this was going. Um, so I don't know. Like I just think it could have been smoothed over a little bit. So I'm going to go just, you had a nine, I'll go eight and a half. I'll go eight and a half on this one, which feels a little low, but I don't know. I, I think that's a good number. Um, it's a hot, high number, but not, um, but it, I don't know. It's a little bit, it left me a little bit underwhelmed, I guess, at the end of the day compared to what my expectations were. Well, obviously this is, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite episodes of all time uh, because it's one of my, because it involves one of my favorite secondary characters of all time. And this is a great four episode arc. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the, I mean, these, these four episodes might've made the show um, continue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you have Scott's death and then the, the, the Emily collapse. So I'm, I give this a 10. I think it's the best. I think it's one of the best episodes of all time in terms of emotion and dealing with a mature topic like a jilted girlfriend, you know, a jilted um, lover, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And it really, um, again, and I, I hate to, I, I, I know I'm harping on it, but the point needs to be made that this is the first storyline where we see that Brandon is just as flawed yeah. as the rest of them. But um, in the end, he, he righted the ship and, 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 you know, fixed it. Mm-hmm. So, um, just as important as the back end of season three with Donna and everything and the whole thing. And it, it, this is probably one of the most important arcs in the show's history because Emily is, is, you know, beloved for a hot B crazy and C sympathetic kind of all in the same vein. And I think it made season two uh, better than I remember it being. Yeah. And so it's a 10 out of 10 for me. And I, I, I would say I'm, I'm looking at the grades. I, I, I think the last three episodes are tens to be honest. From Yeah. From- I had, uh, oh. I had Scott at Scott's death at 10. Yep. We had you four. I had you for eight and a half and this a nine. I mean, so those are all super high grades. I mean, it's, yeah. It's been a great stretch. And then we've had other great ones in season two as well. Like I have nines, eight and a halfs. Like it's it's a pretty strong. I mean, looking back, like the lowest rated for me personally, my lowest grade of season two is a five, one five and one six. Like everything else is up, up there, like over seven for the most part. Uh, there's like four so far out of the 16 that are below a six and a half, which I mean, that's like a solid, that's a really strong season right there. Yeah, it is definitely above replacement. You might say, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's get to our trackers here. Uh, The only new character I think we had was the blaze. I just put a blaze at her. The beat guy. (laughs) We never got his name with his sexy mullet and skinny tie, (laughs) skinny tie and denim shirt. He had, so he had almost like a half Canadian tuxedo on. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, relationships. We just had a Brandon and Emily and Dylan and Brenda in this one. Not much else. Actually, I'm going to add uh, Andrea and Emily. They kind of. Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, places and things. We had the homecoming float, Emily's typewriter, and the concert hall. I don't think there's anything else that we missed there. Uh, for songs, we had Baby, I'm Yours by Barbara Lewis at the Peach Pit when Stephen Brandon are hanging. Serenade in G uh, by uh, Andante uh, during the vi violin quartet, the first one, uh, Concerto Colne. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't say by Andante. It's uh, called Andante. And then uh, 24 Caprice for violin, uh, number 16 in G minor by Julia Fisher is when we're getting the Emily destroying the flow. So those are the classical pieces that play. Um, okay. All right, let's get to our character rankings. So I've plugged in some. Uh, we didn't have Jackie, Scott, Mel, Iris, or Henry. So those are all zeros. Uh, Nat had a Deliance. Um, hmm, so I, I, say yeah. I gave him six, then Donna, then David. But I, I don't know. Should Nat be higher? Was the little quip about the chili funnier? than like You know where the hot sauce is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's fine where he's at. It's it's literally just. Was a David barely lines even in this episode? He's like David's barely in it. He didn't help yeah. with the float. He was on. Yeah, the... well, he's there with the camera. Uh, he yeah, he's, he's there to he's set up the big, the big. Um, and he takes the meltdown. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think he did more than Donna. Donna was annoying. Um, it's, it's, I've, I've been a big Donna fan all season too, but this right. to me was her worst in a while. I mean, she, she let us down. Up. Yeah. She let us down. She did. Yeah, I agree. All right. So let's go Nat, Donna, David. Yeah. Um, then I probably Kelly, right? Yeah. She's yeah, kind she of a non-entity. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, so then we got probably Jim and Cindy, I guess, or Steve. I, I thought Steve was good in this one. Yeah, Steve Steve's should be higher. Good. I'd Steve yeah. higher. I'd put Cindy and Jim. Yeah, I think that's fine. With Cindy below Jim, because Jim did answer the phone. <laughs> right. And play back. Yeah, Cindy was kind of the voice of reason. Like she kind of was like a little bit more subtle version of her like her normal caring mom mm -hmm. stuff. I thought it was like well done. Um you know, like she was the only one kind of sitting there saying like we shouldn't be making fun of this girl. Like she's got problems. We right. need to talk to her parents. That's how you fix this type of thing. Not by, you know, going crazy about it. So, I mean, I, I think Jim's still higher because he's exasperated. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> why why yes. is this happening in my house right now? Um, Having to listen to intimate details of his son's sexual. <laughs> uh, all right. So Jim's at 11 and then, uh, so it leaves us with what? Steve, Dylan, Emily, Andrea, Brandon, Brenda. So probably Andrea next or Steve? I think I'd put Steve. Um, while he was good here, I, I don't know that he had that much substance to what he did, if, if that mm -hmm. counts for anything. Um, at least Andrea is sort of more of an actor. Kind of drives the story, yeah. Yeah, she's sort of calling it. I mean, we're we're dealing with like at one moment, uh, at one point, it's like, oh, okay, paging Doctor Zuckerman with the whole. I think she has borderline personality disorder. <laughs> like, all right, nineteen ninety one diagnosis here, cool. Um, by a high school student. So yeah, I, I sort of would go. Honestly, I, I might go Steve Dillon. Um, hmm. Cause like yeah, he's part of the Brenda. He's he's joined at the hip with Brenda, but does 
Dylan like contribute that he gets some good lines, I guess. But no, I think Andre could be uh, higher. She does play Columbo and figure it out. So yeah. So I could be talked out of that, but my my instinct is Steve on Steve Dylan, then probably Andrea. I'm okay with that. Mm. All right, and then you want to go Brenda next. I might go higher on Brenda. Brenda should be higher than Emily or Brandon. Higher than Brandon, but maybe not him. I might give Emily the top spot because she really dominates this episode. Yeah, yeah since it's her, good. since it's pretty much her farewell, you know. Well, that's mm-hmm. um. All right. Well, you guys, what do you think of Brandon versus Brenda then? Uh, what do you think? Believe it or not, because I think I would actually put Brenda higher. I think Brenda was mm-hmm. was more level headed in this episode. Like I said, Brandon had Brandon showed his flaws, and I think Brenda kind of. Got him back on the on the right path. Brandon is, and I agree with that. Um, Brandon is surprisingly passive in the resolution of this. Yeah, I um, agree. He kind of didn't handle all of this great, and um, that's understandable. But it, it seems like at the end, maybe he would have stepped up and been like that voice of reason that Brenda ends up being. And I, I think that like episode is. I agree with you, Tim. I feel like he made Brenda yeah. and, and Andrea do all the work. <laughs> kind of, yeah, right? He's um, like, well, thanks, God. I didn't have to do that shit. <laughs> you know? Well, I think the episode is kind of better for it because th- right. there is too much um, baggage and, and history between Brandon and Emily for him to be the one. Right, he's just lost. He doesn't know how to do it because he's... Yeah, he's, he's yeah. lost in much the same way that she is. Like, he's more well-adjusted, but... He doesn't know how to help her through this, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's sort of dealing with his own issues, and you know, it, it does take Brenda stepping up to pull this off. And I think that because of that, I would I would put Brenda over Brandon here. Okay. All right, everything's tallied. You ready to go? I think so. All right. All right. Uh, at the bottom, we have Jackie, Scott, Mel, Iris, Henry, all at zero. They weren't in this episode. Nat with six, Donna seven, then David, Kelly, Cindy, Jim, Steve, Dylan, Andrea, Brandon, Brenda, Emily. So that's this episode. Here's our season two totals. Iris McKay is in last with 16, Mel Silver with 19, Jackie Taylor with 24, Scott Scanlon forever entrenched at 38, Henry Thomas at 47, Napasuccio 52. We jump up to Emily Valentine. Her final spot for the season will be at 90. Cindy Walsh at 131. Jim Walsh at 138. Tied with Donna Martin at 138. Andrea Zuckerman at 145. Kelly Taylor, 148. Right above her, Steve Sanders, 149. Right above him's David Silver at 150. We jump up to Dylan at 198. Brenda, 206. And Brandon, just dominating the season still at 224. And finally, here's our all-time standings. We have Iris at 16, Mel at 19, Jackie at 37, Henry at 47, Emily at 90, Nat and Scott tied at 102. Donna still in her own little stratosphere at 219. David at 276, Andrea at 288, Jim at 296, Cindy at 298, Kelly's at 317, Steve's at 340, Dylan's at 357, Brenda at 449, and Brandon pacing at 465 total points and that is our full character rankings and lists and that will do it for tonight's episode so another one wrapped up scott want to thank you as always for joining us of course tim will be back in three weeks with our next installment we'll have a returning guest uh with us Mm -hmm. as well 
So I want to thank everyone who's been listening. Uh, you know, continue to, to send any feedback you may have our way. You can post it on any social media or just reach out to us. Um, Tim, what's the email? Do you have a handy? Uh, our email, our Gmail is 9021noso at gmail.com. Okay. And we also have our Instagram, which I always forget about. Yes. That is uh, 9021noso podcast, all one word, uh, on Instagram. Which, yeah, check that uh, out. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, you can you can reach out to us there as well, for sure. Uh, and if you're interested in being on the show, let us know. Like we're always open to, to new guests, too. So uh, with that said, a little dim sum, a little dumb sum. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for watching. Bill.